see all of you here as we join together as God's people, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to praise Him, to worship Him, to hear from Him, and to open our hearts to Him this morning. We are privileged to begin our service by hearing from Rose Jones, who has just recently gone on a mission trip she's going to tell us about. Good morning. My name is Rose Jones, and I attend the Houghton Wesleyan Church. I went on a mission trip last month to the country of Cuba. It was one of the hardest and best weeks of my life. I went with a group called Wheels for the World, which is an outreach of the organization Johnny and Friends, which was founded by Christian quadriplegic Johnny Erickson Tata. A team of people from the United States worked with a team of Cuban pastors and the Cuban National Disability Organization, and we distributed wheelchairs, and the pastors also distributed Bibles. My role on the trip was to be the team writer, which means that I kept a daily log of our activities, and I also interviewed Cuban families through a translator and wrote down their stories. I'd like to share with you the story of Jeffrey. Jeffrey is the young man in the wheelchair here. I first met Jeffrey at the welcome ceremony on Saturday that the Cubans held for the U.S. team. Jeffrey was wheeled into the room in an oversized wheelchair. His body was leaning back, so his brother helped him by placing a hand on Jeffrey's shoulder and pushing him into an upright position in the chair. A guitar was placed in Jeffrey's fragile hands, and he began to play and sing a beautiful love song that he had composed. His skeletal arms gently held the guitar as he tenderly serenaded the audience. God's presence in the room was palpable. It was as if God said, This young man is precious in my sight. He is beautiful and treasured. On Monday, Jeffrey returned to be fitted for a new wheelchair. Jeffrey's mother, who's in the next picture, in the back in the green shirt, his mother said, It's very hard to get a wheelchair in Cuba. I try to put on a strong face, but sometimes it is hard, and she cried. The Wheels for the World team skillfully selected an appropriately sized wheelchair and carefully customized foam cushions that would hold Jeffrey in a comfortable, upright position. The entire team, including Jeffrey and his mother, beamed with happiness when the wheelchair was complete. Thank you, thank you, Jeffrey's mother said as she hugged the team in grateful appreciation. Jeffrey's wheelchair was one of 220 wheelchairs that were distributed throughout the week, and each family that received a wheelchair also received a Bible, and they heard the gospel message presented by one of the Cuban pastors. Some of the people, when they received the Bible, would kiss it or press it to their heart, and one of the Cuban pastors said that he has people that will come and knock on his door and say, are you a pastor? And he says, yes, and they say, I want a Bible. And he doesn't always have Bibles to give to them because they're so scarce. The Wheels for the World team t-shirt says, It's not about the wheels. While our goal is to provide the gift of mobility, our most important goal is to share the saving message of Jesus Christ. In closing, I'd like to say thank you to the church. On mission trips, there are goers and senders, and both are equally important and blessed by God. I'm grateful to the church for pouring into me before I went on this trip, for praying for me, encouraging me, supporting me financially, and welcoming me home. I could not have done this without you. 
I talk about my trip to Cuba, but really this was our trip to Cuba because as the body of Christ, we together minister to the Cuban people. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Let's stand together as we sing our praises to God. You have given us a new name, the sons and daughters of your righteousness. You have taken off a shame and given.
as they went, the morning sun was dead, the Savior of the world was fallen, his body on the cross, his blood poured out for us, the weight of every curse upon him. One final 
sing hallelujah, Lord. We sing hallelujah to your name for you have overcome. You have overcome all sin, all death, all defeat. And we know that we can trust you. Help us, Lord, to trust you more. To place ourselves in your loving hands. As we continue in worship together, please feel free to remain standing, to sit, to kneel, to take whatever posture of worship you would like to as we sing. In the presence, in the waiting, you're making melodies over me. your presence is the promise for I am a pilgrim on a journey Show. 
This morning's scripture reading comes from the 25th and 26th chapters of Acts. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death. But because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of, all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charge against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense all against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially... So, because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it, was, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains." The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is done nothing against this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. The word of God for the people of God. There are a couple of things that I want to make mention to you uh, in your bulletin today. Um, this is the last Sunday for collecting Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. So if you didn't bring it with you this morning and you have one, you can bring it down to the church anytime uh, throughout today. And then we'll get those to the next place. Also, uh, Wednesday evening, our boys club is doing a testimony night. And they'd love to have us come and hear the things that they have, testimonies they've written about how they've seen God at work in their lives and in other people's lives. And I think it's pretty exciting that, uh, you know, these boys, third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, are thinking about telling people about what they see, how they see Jesus at work. 
So if you have uh, some time, you can come Wednesday night. They meet in the basement, or actually they meet in the community room behind us here. Uh, there's an insert in your bulletin also about next Sunday. We're going to be collecting, as we do every year on the first Sunday before Thanksgiving, collecting food for our food pantry. We've been helping a lot of people, as you can see, a lot more need. So if you have some food that you could bring next Sunday, just bring it to church with you, and then we'll stack it up front and get it to the food pantry after the service. I also want to mention that this is the last week of our prayer vigil. We've completed two weeks. We've got one more to go. If you haven't yet had a chance to be in the prayer room, let me encourage you to, uh, to do so uh, sometime this week. If you have been, come again. Uh, I, we've had some gaps in the times over the past two weeks, and that's okay because it's not about perfection. It's just about us spending more time praying, which is certainly happening. We're hearing some good things about it um, as various groups come and people. But it would, it would be great if we could finish strong and finish this week with every hour filled up. There are actually some times available today. And, of course, you know those prime moments early in the morning, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, uh, it's quiet, it's peaceful, and uh, it's a great time to come and pray. But any time you can come and see if we can fill up this last week and uh, see what God wants to do in us and through us during that time. I want to invite you to take a minute, stand up, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. When you feel really passionate about something, you want people to know it, right? Something that you love, something that you're engaged with, something that's important to you, you want people to feel that it's just as important to them as it is to you. That's sort of how we live our lives. Now, you add into that mix, that passion, people who offend you, hurt you, oppose you, The passion doesn't get less, it tends to get stronger. When people oppose something that we're passionate about, what do we do? We become more passionate. We become more vocal. We become more engaged. And and we will do anything and everything to help people understand that they are wrong and we are right. It's how we operate as human beings. And, it, and it's really a lot of how we think and operate as Christians. If you're a follower of Jesus, hopefully you're passionate about that. Hopefully you're passionate about, about wanting to, to be the best follower of Jesus you possibly can be and wanting other people to be followers of Jesus too. And when we're passionate about that, we want to tell people every way we can. And when people oppose us, offend us, hurt us, we don't become less passionate about Jesus. We tend to become more passionate about Jesus. And that can be good, and that can be not so good. 
And the question we're dealing with today is how does the church communicate Jesus? How does the church communicate to people Jesus? How does a church that's passionate about following Jesus, about wanting other people to follow Jesus, how do we tell people about that? I've been thinking about that question as I was reading through Acts 24, 25, 26. Now, we just read little bits and pieces of those sections because that would be all we would do if we just read those chapters today. They're long. It's a dialogue. Paul has been arrested by the uh, religious authorities in Jerusalem. They're making all kinds of false accusations against him. They are telling, saying that he is stirring up all kinds of trouble. He's a menace to the Roman Empire. He is desecrating this, this, uh, this, the temple. He is a troublemaker who needs to be executed. Not just punished, but executed. And so they bring him before the Roman authorities and they say, this is what he's done, this is what you should do for him. And when they examine him, they can't find anything wrong with him. But the governor doesn't want to displease the Jews, so he keeps Paul in prison for weeks and months and even years. And here's Paul just sitting there doing nothing, passionate about Jesus, and everybody's opposing him. And here Paul now is called before these Roman leaders to see what they're going to do about him. And if I were in Paul's shoes, I think I'd be upset. I think I would take this as an opportunity to say, all right, Lord, you have given me a voice among these pagan, idolatrous people, and I'm going to give them both barrels. I'm going to give them everything I've got. And when I'm done and the smoke clears... They're going to be obliterated and everyone's going to know I'm right and they're wrong. No one's going to question that. And Paul could do it because Paul had a gift of oratory. Paul had a gift to be able to say things in a way that communicated clearly. And we read this passage and what does Paul do? He says, I respect you guys. People who are in leadership, Thank you. You're, thank you, most excellent Felix. Thank you, King Agrippa. Thank you, Governor Festus. Thank you for everything you've done. Let me tell you about my side of the story. And he gently and respectfully pleads his case. I read that and I thought, wow, that is so counterintuitive and countercultural to how we typically respond when people attack, in whatever form we want to call it, our passionate faith about Jesus. And it's got me thinking that we need to think seriously about how we communicate. Because people are going to disagree with us. People are going to oppose us. People are going to think that our passions about Jesus are the same way that Paul, that uh, King Festus, or Festus says to Paul, you're out of your mind. One translation says, Paul, you're insane. And that would be the moment for Paul to say, I'm not insane, you're insane. You know what God's judgment's going to be like for you? Do you know how much I'm going to enjoy God's judgment on you? Do you know how wrong you are? But he doesn't. He just says, I'm not insane. I'm just passionate about Jesus. And I want you to know that. And I respect you as a leader. I want you to know Jesus. 
And the more I think about that, the more I realize how much I need to learn about how to communicate Jesus. It doesn't mean we don't stand up for the truth. Paul clearly stands up for the truth. He, he tells them the whole testimony of his conversion experience and what Jesus has done for him. He is clear about Jesus being the Messiah and the one who they need. But he does it in a way that is respectful and gentle and humble, to be honest with you. I think that's one of the issues that we wrestle with as a church is that we tend to become arrogant, condescending. One of my great fears about this sermon today is that in the passion to talk to you about this, I will become, I will appear arrogant and condescending to you as I'm talking to you about not being arrogant and condescending. So I'm, please understand that this is an issue that we all wrestle with, right? Me, you, everybody, we all wrestle with this. And I look at Paul and I just think, man, he has figured it out. Does everybody respond the way he wants them to? No, he still ends up in prison. He ends up eventually being executed. But that's not the point. Is Paul wrong? No, he's right. But that's not really the point. The point is, Paul communicates Jesus in the spirit of Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. Sometimes it's hard. Whether we're talking about people outside the church or people inside the church. E. Stanley Jones, great statesman of the church back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Uh, He was a missionary statesman in India. Famous. Wrote lots of books. Had lots of political contacts in India. Well, well well-respected man. Great preacher of the gospel. And he started a movement... uh, kind of formulated on the Hindu ashrams where they would come together for these week-long gatherings and he started Christian ashrams in India and in in the United States and other countries. He got, uh, he supported a man in his ministry for years and then came to the point where he couldn't do that anymore for a variety of reasons. And so he stopped supporting him and this man got upset and he wrote a letter. Actually, he, he, he publicly criticized D. Stanley Jones and told some lies about him. And really attacked his character. And as you can imagine, as you and I would do, he got pretty upset about that. And he Stanley sat down and he wrote a letter to this gentleman. And um, it's the kind of letter, you know, you, you really enjoy writing, you know. It's one of those letters that you just, it's like, man, this is flowing now. And I am really making it now. And I am giving, giving them everything now. And, you know, you can't write the words fast enough as they're coming through your mind. And you just feel the anger getting higher and higher and higher and the feeling of joy in being able to express that, right? I'm going to show them. And he got done. There must have been something in his spirit that he realized maybe it wasn't the best thing for him to do. So he sent it to some friends, other leaders of the ashram movement, and he said, tell me what you think. And they sent it back, and they wrote three words across the top. Not sufficiently redemptive. And he realized they were right, and he tore it up threw it away. He said, Lord, you're just going to have to, you're just gonna have to take care of my reputation. It's not the right thing to do. Sometimes we just have to let things go. Sometimes the, the Christ-like spirit, like Jesus before Pilate and before the religious leaders, is he kept his mouth silent. And what did they say? Everybody was surprised. Who does that? 
You yell, you scream, you fight, you strike back. That's what you do when you're right. And yet Jesus, who was the rightest of the right, didn't. Again, it doesn't mean we don't stand up for the truth. It doesn't mean we don't speak the truth. It doesn't mean sometimes we don't confront what we need to confront because confronting is a part of loving too. He says, how do we do that? What's our spirit? What's our attitude? What's our intent? What's our goal? I think one of the issues we wrestle with is that we forget. We think our goal is to prove to people we're right. When, when I look at Jesus, I look at Paul, it seems to me that the goal is, I'd love to have you know Jesus. And those often are mutually exclusive. If our goal is, I want you to make sure, I want you to know, make sure that you know I'm right, we will do anything, say anything, whatever we need to do, however much we may need to hurt people or strike out at people or be aggressive with people, we will do it because the most important thing is you know to know I am right and you are wrong. But if our goal is transformation, if our goal is bringing people to Jesus, then it significantly limits the options of how we communicate. You know, when you look at, when you look at um, what Paul says to King Agrippa at the end of this dialogue, and he, you know, after Festus says, Paul, you're insane, he says, Agrippa, you know what I'm talking about. Do you understand? He had, a, he had a Jewish background. And Agrippa says to him, look, Paul, you think in a short time you can make me a Christian? And I love Paul's comment. Short time, long time, whatever, I just want you to know Jesus. I want you to experience what I experience. And I do think it's fascinating that he adds a little phrase, except for these chains. Because I'm putting myself in Paul's shoes. I think I might be tempted to say, you know what I really want? How about we trade places? How about you get in the chains and the stocks and see how you like it? See how you respond and let me interrogate you for a while. How does that feel? But Paul's all about wanting people to know Jesus. He doesn't care if he's in chains. He doesn't want them to experience his pain. He wants them to experience the joy and the transforming grace of Jesus. And when that's our goal, everything changes. Everything changes about how we see people and how we communicate with people. What we say, what we don't say. How we say it, our tone of voice, our body language, our eyes. Everything about it changes. If our goal is, I want you to know Jesus. Versus, I want to make sure you know I'm right. I really hesitate to bring this up, but it's so in the news. You know, I, I almost brought a Starbucks coffee cup with me today. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that story, you know, this week. It's come, you know, about the, they have red coffee cups. And they're not putting any holiday decorations on them. And a guy got really upset about that, a Christian man. And he made a video criticizing them and talked about how he tricked them into saying Merry Christmas by having telling him that was his name. So he lied in order to get them to do what he wanted. And, you know, it, it became a whole big thing. And his comment was, 
They've taken these, these, these symbols off, which quite frankly, if you've ever seen their holiday symbols, they're not Christian symbols. They're just snowflakes and reindeer and stuff like that. But they took them off, and he says, because they hate Jesus. I'm thinking, did he ask them if they hate Jesus? Or is he making that assumption? See, I think when we talk about humility and the spirit in which we do things, listening. Listening is so important to that process. Are we listening to people? Do we ask them, so tell me about you, instead of just let me tell you about me? I think we have to earn the right to speak the truth to people. And you say, well, that doesn't, that's, no, we need to just speak the truth all the time. Yeah, we can speak the truth all the time, but it's a brick wall until we earn the right. It's always about relationships. Always comes back to relationships. And when we care about people, we build relationships with people, then the most natural thing in the world is for them to tell us what they're passionate about and for us to tell them what we're passionate about. We've created a groundwork. We've created a a place. We've nurtured a relationship that makes talking about Jesus natural. And in a spirit of grace and love and listening and compassion. Someone was telling me uh, a couple weeks ago about uh, an adult who really hurt their child. And, you know, it was a really difficult circumstance and the child was really hurt by it. And, and this parent, as you can well imagine, was ready to go to war with that adult. You know, we protect our kids. And, and, and they, they were gearing up at all the things they were going to say in every way they were going to take this adult out verbally. And just before they were getting together with them, they, they sensed God's spirit just checking them. And they spent some time praying. And the Lord calmed them down a little bit and softened their heart a little bit. And they went into it and decided, let's just, let me just ask some questions. And they listened and discovered that this adult had really been going through some difficult circumstances, had some tough things in their life. They were hurting. And they acknowledged that what they did was wrong and they felt bad about it. And they went and apologized. And what ended up happening is that they didn't chide, they didn't scold, they didn't get angry at this adult who hurt their child. They built a relationship. And I think, even though they didn't say this, I think they taught their child a really valuable lesson about how you handle situations like that. And as I listened to the story, I thought, man, I am so impressed with that. And they said, well, it was the Spirit of God helping me, it wasn't me. And I'm convinced that this brings us back to prayer. Because in prayer, we give God time and space to speak into our lives. We need to pull back sometimes. One of the reasons we are so aggressive with people in in an unhealthy way is because we don't give ourselves time to think about it. We don't give ourselves time and, and space to pull back and to let the Spirit of God convict us and challenge us and, and halt us. We're just going. And most of the time when we act on impulse, it gets us in trouble. Step back and let the Spirit speak into our hearts. That's really one of the reasons why we keep doing these prayer vigils and why we talk about prayer so much is because it is so important to being who God wants us to be. Somebody wrote me this week and said, it dawned on me 
that as you're talking about prayer and as we're doing the prayer vigils, it said it dawned on me that this really isn't about God answering our prayers. It's about coming to the realization that prayer is the answer. And they're right. They're right. That's why we're doing all of this. Because prayer's the answer. It gives us time and space to listen to God and to let God work in us and change us and, and make us like Christ. Give us grace to communicate like Christ. I'm convinced that what we need to do in, in the situations of life, as we're talking about how we communicate, is the spirit of Christ that is, that is like Paul describes in Philippians chapter 2. About whom he says, though in very nature, he's in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself and became obedient, became a servant. That's really what it's about. Communicating in the spirit of a servant. Humble. Because what we want is not for people to believe we're right. What we want is for people to know Jesus. We want people to draw closer to Jesus. And so whether we're talking about in the walls of the church or outside the walls of the church, the goal is the same, Jesus. And my prayer for myself is that God will give me, will continue to help me want to communicate like Jesus. And that's my prayer for you as well. Because I'm convinced that's part of what it means to be the church that lives in the spirit. In the spirit of Jesus. Father, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for being patient with us. us to stand up for the truth in the spirit of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. It seems appropriate to me for us to spend a little bit of time praying together. Praying for God to give us that spirit. If you want to offer your prayers here at the altar rail, then please come and join me as we pray together. Father, we thank you for Christ who has come in such humility and patience and grace. We ask that same spirit. You know how hard it is for us sometimes as we face the difficulties of life. And today, as we've gathered for worship, there are all kinds of burdens that we bring with us. For those who are grieving, fill them with your comfort. For those who are who are wrestling with issues of health, bring healing. For every person who is struggling 
with a habit that just can't quite get rid of, give victory. For every decision about the future, give us wisdom, understanding. And Father, for every relationship, fill us with love, humility, grace. Lord, we pray today not only for ourselves, but for the whole world. Our hearts are broken to see the images in Paris. Lord, we're asking how long, oh Lord. We pray that you would bring comfort and healing to every person who has been affected by this violence. We pray, Father, that in your grace you will bring an end to the evil of terrorism and violence and war. Give to the leaders of the nations of the world wisdom to know how to respond correctly, rightly, not in a spirit of vengeance, but as a means of protection and the spirit of justice that might resemble your own justice. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who face ongoing persecution. We think of the Christians in the Middle East who are now many refugees. We pray that you would would bring relief to them and bring them to a place where they can reestablish themselves a home. And maybe even as a church, give us wisdom about how we might help some of the refugees. Pray for the people of Cuba. We heard Rose's report and we thank you for the the work that's going on there and for the the growth of the church and the openness to the gospel. And we pray that you will continue to bring about amazing things. And we pray especially for the people who who need things like wheelchairs and assistance. May they see your church being a presence of grace and help. Father, we pray for Chris and Corey Thede as they work in Haiti, dealing with an adoption and unrest in this nation of people that you dearly love. We pray that you would bring your grace and peace to bear on them. Father, we we do pray for our church. And as we think about the various ministries of the church, we, we pray today for our Sunday school ministry. And thank you. Much of that going on right now. And some will follow. We pray for every teacher and every assistant and every class that there would be learning, but more than just head knowledge, but heart embracing as well. We pray for your anointing on every part of our Sunday school ministry. Fathers, we think about the churches around us. We pray for Fillmore Wesleyan Church. Thank you for the great things that have been happening there and for uh, people coming into the church. Continue to bless their ministry. Bless Pastor Bill and those who work with him. Pour out the abundance of your blessing on them, on their worship services and on their outreach events and on every part of, of their church. We pray your blessing of grace and mercy and that they will be a beacon of light to people who need you. Father, thank you so much for all that you've done for us in Christ. Continue to work in our hearts and minds and lives And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus.
one who teaches us the model for prayer, which even now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together. together walking in the spirit there's much to be
They've made me feel like a prisoner. They've made me feel set free. They've made me feel like a criminal. Made me feel like a king. you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.